Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Redeemer. Thank you, King of Glory, for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you for going ahead of us and showing us the example of overcoming in the midst of trial and suffering. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your protection and provision. We, we just cover ourselves and our children with the blood of Jesus right now, Lord. We need you in this wicked and twisted generation we're living in. I pray, Father God, a supernatural covering of your angels that they would encamp around us, Lord, and keep us from demons and evil spirits that come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We pray that we continue in the palm of your hand. We pray, Father God, that uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. I pray that your word tonight would open our eyes and our hearts and minister to our spirits, nourish our lives, our spiritual lives, that we might see the father of faith, Abraham, in the time of testing, in the season of being challenged by you so that you might be glorified and so that he might inherit the promises that are upon his life, Lord. Let us see those things that will serve as an example to us, Lord, as a shadow and a type of the things that you're doing in our lives also, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you be glorified tonight and that we leave this place refreshed in your presence. Allow us to become a light in this darkness. Allow us to be salt upon the earth where many have just become bland and they're just going through the motions without preserving this generation from its corruption. I pray that our lives would be an inspiration. I pray that our ministries would be, cover the earth. I pray, Lord, that you give us spiritual savvy and tenacity to be able to live in the spiritual realm and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, O oh God. I give you thanks for the purity of the Holy Spirit and the sanctification process that removes us from the lust of this earth, Lord, from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Be glorified, and we give you thanks that you give us the patience to go through trials and tribulation and suffering and anguish, and that your grace is sufficient to carry us through. We give you thanks for mercy. We give you thanks for your love upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Without faith, without testing of our faith, our faith is nothing. A, uh, the reason we read in Genesis 22, we are traversing the life of this man Abraham because that's what God is looking for. A lot of times we don't understand uh, and we ask God, what, what do you want from me? Why are you against me and the truth is that God more than anything else more than prospering you in this realm of the earth God wants to see the element of faith and um, you value some things God values some things you might value gold and silver but God values substance called faith this is a realm of the supernatural where your confidence and heart is surrendered to God. And there's no playing around with that. 
So while you are working hard to make gold and silver, God is working hard to produce the substance of faith in your life. And he does, through, he does that production of the character that he's looking for by allowing tests to come into our lives, setbacks. And the testing of our faith will show something that is genuine. Uh, everybody goes around saying they have faith, but there's nothing to show forth faith than a trial. And so we'll see somebody going through a hard time and we're going like, man, the guy's holding on. This is, listen, it's a, what's going on. I don't know if I would, I would hold on to it. But the test shows the genuineness. And like gold, the Bible says, our faith must be tested to become more precious. The fire purifies the gold. And we see this in uh, Peter as he writes to us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. So if any time in the future you're going to be questioning God as to why you have gone through things or are going through things, it's because this is too, it says, so that the genuineness of your faith, so the reality, the authenticity, the substance of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that is going to finish, uh, though it is tested by fire, your faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So uh, a lot of men do not cherish, uh, some men have decided that they're going to be atheists, that they're not ever going to uh, say that they depend or believe or know God. But you and I are in this race of faith. And so what purifies and sanctifies and grounds our faith are the setbacks that we suffer. So whenever in the future you start going through any type of test, uh, you know that, that, that God is involved. I, I told two men today, or three men actually, I'll, I'll tell a lot of men as I come by, God must really love you because he's not letting you go. He is really letting you have it. And there's a realm of that which God cares about that he's on top of you. And so James got... Uh, received a revelation and a picture in James chapter 1 verse 2 he says um, when you are going through these setbacks consider it something joyful okay God you must be up to something you must you got your hammer and your chisel and you're going at it um, so in the midst of trials there needs to be a sentiment of joy not because you feel good not because you're receiving something favorable, but because God's hand is extended towards you and he's, he's letting them, he's letting the torch uh, come into your life. So when you feel the heat and you feel the setback, you're, you're supposed to rejoice. And that's what James says, brethren, count it the highest level of joy when you fall into these various trials. Why? Verse 3, because it's proof you should be going through these things with the knowledge that the testing of your faith is producing a uh, character. It's producing something of greater value. You, you can't see it now. You can't appreciate it. But faith is producing something. Um, one of the things that, that to me is the greatest, the greatest fruit of our Faith being tested is that we surrender all and find ourselves with the necessity 
of surrendering to God. That, mean, that means you're, you get to the point where you say, Lord, you know something? You, you return to God. As you go through these times of testing, uh, you're not, you might not have a house left. You might not have health left. You might not have a family member left. But you have God. You have God. And, and if, if that is the product and the fruit of going through the fire, it's worth it. It's worth it because many times we get so prosperous and so blessed and so abundant that we start serving our prosperity and what God has given us and we have forgotten the source. So God might strip you and then you say, whoa, and let me go and worship the God who's my source, even though he gives me the prosperity of the things I enjoy, like health, like family, like a house, like, like a job. But when, when we get a good job, we forget about God. When we have a healthy family, we don't have to cry out. But if you go to the hospital and the Lord allows a trial, guess what the whole family is going to be doing? Going to be asking God for his goodness. And so there's nothing like testing to reevaluate where we stand before God. And I want to suggest that trials are set so that we can see God more clearly. Troubles are there so that we might triumph. Psalm 46 verse 1. If, if, if you're able to learn this, it's beneficial. That ultimately, trials are to perfect the place of your refuge. The place of your strength. Of every present help in times of trouble. So people, the Bible says that a rich man makes, he thinks that his money is a city with high walls. People can't get in. But listen to me. That's what the Chinese did when... They built the Great Wall of China. They were like, man, we're, we're never going to be invaded. We're never going to be taken. And all of a sudden, they invented the airplane, the Wrights Brothers, and people were flying right over their wall. And so a lot of people build up things and thinking, we're strong. We got money. We got health. And all of a sudden, God allows a trial to be greater than what you could withstand to remind you that God is your refuge, that he is your strength, and that he is the only help you're going to need when the... Rubber meets the road. When things start to come strong against you, you're going to fortify your strength in God being your refuge. And you know why you're sad in times of trial? Because you've placed your confidence in something else. You've placed your hope in the fact that there would never be a setback. There would be, never be trouble. And so God, in his mercy, and they, they did this testing at the Harvard they went to Harvard and they went to the school of philosophy and some man had written a, a treatise on why pain and why suffering upon the earth. Well, some people have reached the conclusion that there's suffering and pain upon the earth because God doesn't exist and everybody has to go through trouble. But the truth is, there's a great portion of people, there's up in the 90 percentile, of people that when they go through hardship, they turn to God. So if God is a good God, he'll allow suffering so people come back. And, and if he didn't care, then he just continues to allow everybody to be far from God and distant and disconnected and never cause anything to shake up their lives to come back to Psalm 46 verse 1. God is my refuge and strength. He is my present help in times of trouble and because I have this provision verse 2 is a reality therefore I will not fear even though the earth is removed and the mountains be carried into the oceans verse 3 
Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, though everything is overwhelming, if God is my refuge, I will never lose my peace. I will never lose my joy because he's the source and I haven't surrounded myself by things that, that do not uh, provide that. They're only an appearance. And, and I always say if you have a million dollars, God's going to give you a problem of a million and one so that you come to him. So let's not make our strength outside of God. Let's not make our confidence, uh, you know, our own ways. One of the things that, that I have seen, and, and the Bible will confirm this, there's nothing like trials and anguish and travesty to come into our lives to humble us. How many agree that? There's nothing like it. Is it if, if you see trials as the one that keeps you grounded and doesn't allow you to think more than you should, you should welcome those trials. It's, come on, buddy. I might be getting too big-headed for my own good. So come and pop my bubble. Come and show me how frail I am. And when you're passing a kidney stone, that's, that's one of those times. You think you're strong. You think you're healthy. You think you're mighty. Then a kidney stone comes. And when you pass the kidney stone eight hours later, it is a grain of sand. And you're like, this kept me in excruciating pain for eight hours? And yes, it, we're so, all God has to do is lift his hand just for a little while to remind you of how frail we are. And so there it is. The trials come. Um, I don't even know how to number this, but the first one is uh, trials come to keep you close to God. Okay, because there's nothing like a trial to get you on your knees. Uh, Billy Graham's daughter said that. Uh, Larry Keene told her, look, your father is now aging and he has all these health problems. Is God being fair with your dad after he served God all his life? And she goes, yes, sir. Because there's nothing better than the illnesses that Billy Graham has, my father, than to keep him on his knees before he checks out, lest he be lifted up and distance himself from God in the, man, in, in, the, in, the, in the time of his transition from this life to the next. There's nothing better than illness to keep my father on bended knees before the Lord. And she hit it out of the park because he was looking at it from God's not fair. And why is God allowing this? Well, she says, because he's a good God and doesn't want my dad to be proud or to lose connect. So there's nothing greater than trials to keep us close to God. But number two, nothing greater than trials to keep us humble. And so I, I don't know if you guys know, uh, there is AA therapy. Have you ever heard of that? Attitude adjustment. When you just need a little reminder that you're not the one that is powerful and great. It's the mercy. It's the goodness of God that has in any realm. So for me, the reminder was as a young boy, eight years old, uh, father bought a little pony and put me on a pony and, and we would enjoy the ranch. And I was riding horses from a very young age. So you get cocky. And so now you're 17, 18, you're 20, you're, you're doing all sorts of things. I get married. I, I start my law practice. They they give me two horses. I have them at the ranch. And I'm like, oh, I'm a cowboy. And I could ride them cowboy. And I've never fallen. And I could ride a bull. And, and I'm like this big. And the Lord allows the horse to go up and to fall right on, my, on his back and right upon me. And I was thinking, now I'm paraplegic. Now I'll be 
paralyzed from the neck down forever. And in the moment that I was thinking it was always me, the Lord told me, I was on that ground, he goes, you thought you were a good cowboy. I kept you on that horse all those years. It was me that didn't allow you to fall. You're not a good cowboy. It was my grace and my mercy that kept you on those animals. And so many times, these setbacks and trials allow for revelation. Wait a second. I better humble myself. I'm not a good horse. God is a good God. He kept me safe all those crazy years, right? So um, the other thing that a trial does, it not only connects us to God and brings us back, it keeps us humble. Who does God give grace to? The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, and he resists the proud. So if trials stricken, you can rejoice. God is bringing me back to the place where I could uh, take the low road so that I can be exalted. Um, number three, trials come to remove our desire for the things of this world. This is, this is really powerful. Not only draws us closer to God, not only brings us back to humility when we're being proud, but it, it, it causes us to not desire the things of this world um, that are passing, that are temporary. And I've had the opportunity many times to go to a hospital and to see a young person die, whether it be a child or a young mother. And I always say that God will take the precious things of this world away from us so that our heart is set in heaven and not in the things of this world. So if we've ever had a loss in the realm of the earth, guess what? There's nothing upon the earth that has the value that makes us desire being hoarding or, or gaining more. And in fact, a lot of us that, that have seen this reality, um, we're, we're going to call it the superficiality. The Bible says that, that this, our life upon the earth is but a mist. If, if you see in cold weather... You, there's a fog that comes out and disappears. That's what the Bible says our life here on the earth is. So why are we so grabbing on to where there's nothing to grab onto? So man thinks that he's going to be around for a long time. Um, when I meet friends of mine whose parents have died early, um, and I, I talk with George Carrico a lot. His mom died when he was 10 years old. And listen to me, what does that do? When you lose your mom when you're 10 years old and you lose your dad when you're 19 years old, you realize that this earth has no promise. We're only going to be here this quick. The Bible says it's a hand breath. It's um, infancy, childhood, adulthood, and then elderly. Does anybody else have another season? Doesn't exist. Our life upon the earth is a hand breath, the width of a hand. Childhood, then comes, um, I'm sorry, infancy, childhood, adulthood, and then old age. And, and the Bible says over here, start packing your bags because there's no more promise. Start, start realizing the Bible, the, the whole passage in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, while you're young, let's go there real quick just for the benefit of those that are packing their bags. I, I was telling one man this uh, 15 years ago. I said, sir, you only have 15 years to live. And he got mad and left the church. And I said, why'd you get mad? He goes, you're no one to tell me how long I'm going to live. I said, well, you're a hand breath, brother, and you look like you're right about here. <laughs> and, and so he got upset. He didn't want to know, but um, I don't know. Pretty soon we'll be invited to his funeral. So there it is. 
The Bible says, um, verse, verse 1, Ecclesiastes 12.1, it says, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult times come. And you draw near a certain season of your life and you say, you know what? There's no more fun in this. I'm not, this is more trouble than it is fun. So that's what I was telling you, that once you have an earthly perspective of trials and tribulations that prepare you for eternity, you have no promise down here. You're not like the fools, that the death surprises them. You start preparing to, to meet with your God. And, and so there he says, remember them in the days of your youth. And he says... Verse 2, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. Verse 3 says, before the day comes when the keepers of the house tremble. Do you have that saying there? In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. I was like, man, what? Is that a security guard? Some preacher says that the keepers of the house are your hands. They're the ones that keep the house. And in a certain age, they start trembling. They, your hands start shaking. You're like, man, I'm getting old. I've had a couple of those episodes. I'm like, hey, you cool it. I'm not there yet. But you'll see your body begins to act in a way. Uh, and the strong men bound, bow down, talking about your, your feet. They, they're, they're like, they're sustaining the house. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. Could I make it to the restroom? Could I, could I get along here? The strong men begin to be weak. He says, when the grinders cease, because they are few. Listen to me. If you go to my brother who's a dentist, he'll tell you what a grinder is. And your teeth start falling out. These are seasons of reality in life. And all these men that go around thinking that these are not realities have to get to that place. And those that look through the windows grow dim. <laughs> so let God bring trials into our life. Let God perfect us. Let those things that are precious that will not be laid down be the things that would be our focus. If you go to verse 4, he says, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. What'd you say? <laughs> or you don't hear like you used to. I I'm going around in my house. I'm like, tell my, tell my kids, talk to me loud so I can hear you. And they're like, dad, I told you what. I Listen, these things are going. <laughs> they're dimming out. The sound of grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, anything gets you to not be able to sleep. My kids sleep through construction. But there's a season in your life when the bird outside wakes you up. And the daughters of the music are brought down low. So these are, these are the times we see this whole thing taking place. Uh, it says in verse 5 that they are afraid of height and falling off their beds. If, uh, our fireman here... Richard Romero says, hey, Pastor, I haven't, I haven't put out any fire since I've become a, a, a fireman, but I've had to go and help a lot of old people get up from the ground. They're falling all over Dade County. And so 
uh, they're afraid of heights and of the terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, almond trees turn white when they blossom. How many have noticed, like I was saying about my preacher friends, right? They're all turning white. Their, blo- their almond trees are blossoming. They're turning white. The grasshopper is a burden and desire fall, fails. There's no more vitality for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. So this is all the episode in these adversities and trials in times of humility. The Lord is pruning us from the things of this world to seek the things above. Number four, um, the taking away of earthly pleasure. And by no means, listen to me, we're, we're not... We're not wrapping it up and taking off. We, we enjoy. We, we, we have pleasure. We, we enjoy. We're going to have a good time. But we're saying, why, why is hardship coming our way? It's perfecting the inner man. It's getting us prepared for a, a, a greater uh, potential. Number four, it takes us to have an, earthly, uh, an eternal perspective. Um, I used to say, and I'm going to be really honest with you, I was 21 years old, and knowing what God wanted to do with my life from 21, and now Nick is 20, I didn't think there was enough time to be able to accomplish everything God was calling me. So to go to law school for me was a waste of time, nine years. To work as a lawyer for 10 years was a, but all that was preparation. But I'm just letting you know that when I was 21, knowing that God had a purpose for my life and I was heavenly minded and not earthly transitory, I wasn't going to have five wives. I'm going to have one powerful good wife. I had an eternal vision. I don't don't have time to be flirting around. Uh, There's a family to raise. There's 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 just a, a powerful heavenly perspective that you get. Listen to me. Um, right out of law school, I started working very hard, making a lot of money. And one of the big trials was everything was taken from me the first three months. You guys know the story. I'm driving down Bird Road and I'm asking God for a big lawsuit. I mean, one of those like wrongful death or um, malpractice or wrongful injuries. And guess what? I said, Lord, you give me one of those big cases. I'm going to be a millionaire. And, and I run over an old man. This little old man takes off and crosses the medium, and I'm like, no! And he's like, yeah! And I tried to swerve, and he was running faster, and he got right in the middle, and whack! And in one second, I saw the rest of my life gone, because all the money you make for the next 20 years goes to that family in a lawsuit. And so I'm out there in the middle of a road on zero. And so that trial was AA therapy. An attitude adjustment so that I'm not upon this earth going around as, you know, an ambulance chaser and making a lot of money and living in a mansion and have horses and ranches. I've had plenty of abundance, but it's been with a godly perspective. And that night was one of the biggest trials of my life. One of the most, you're starting out your law practice and all of it's gone. Because you've just run over someone. So um, I, I was praying for a personal injury case, but I went to a cocktail gathering of a lot of lawyers, and one of my friends was going around asking for a wrongful death. Hey, if you ever get a wrongful death, send it to me. I said, don't ask for those things, because you might get them, and it might be one of your family members. Don't go around asking for things that you don't know what you're asking for because it could be a huge devastation i was asking for a personal injury case and i got it i just forgot to tell the lord i didn't want to be the defendant i wanted to be the plaintiff's attorney so trials get you 
to have another focus. And, and since that day, I could tell you for real that I lost my appetite for earthly abundance and gain. And, and I thank God for that because if I wouldn't have put more value on the spiritual side of life, what would my life be like? It would have a flash of, of maybe yachts and, and houses in Bimini and, and all the natural things, but I would have lost my spiritual wealth, the, the inheritance of the call of God upon my life. So that I, I could give thanks to God every day for that, that one trial, and it set the tone for the next 30 years of my life, 20 years, because um, that was at the beginning of my law practice. And I, left, I, I served for 10 years, and then it's been 12 years since I left my law practice. Let's go on and, and see that trials not only give us a heavenly mindset, um, not only do they get us close to God and make us humble, not only do they prune the things of this world, but they reveal the authenticity of our love for God. When God removes those things that you most care for. Because nothing should take that place in our life. Whenever we have our affection set on those things that are greater than God, God, I promise you, listen to me, as your pastor, I will guarantee that God will ask from you that which you place in the highest realm of your affection and devotion. God will say, thank you, ma'am. That was never supposed to be the case. I was to occupy that place. And so I always say um, here, I will have the object of my secret devotion here and and i'll say lord do you do you want my jacket and he goes no, no no i don't want jacket. lord do you want this shirt what is a man's shirt lord you want it no no no. you want my shoes lord i'm willing to give and so we're willing to give everything and god says you know something this oh no lord no lord everything but this 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 is what i want because that will authenticate that your love for me is genuine it's true and so God will come into our life and do that. Um, and, and, and Jesus said, blessed are those who won't be offended by the liberty God has to pick and choose. Because we forget too that he is the potter and we are the clay. He gets to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And he says, blessed are those that are not offended because of me. Don't take offense with what God does, how he does it. And, and that is a challenge in and of itself. So, number five, God will uh, put us in the fire to test our devotion um, and remove those things which are lifted up in a realm greater than God. Number six, um, there in the midst of trials and afflictions, our steps responding to God's sovereign knowledge um, in other words I, I got I got upset real quick after that first trial and I said God I'll never preach the word again and I'll never go to church again and I'll never believe because you said that no harm will touch the righteous you said that nothing will befall me that is a setback and I, I started bringing all this stuff up and I threw a tantrum for about half a day all the next morning. So the accident was on Friday, and I had to preach at youth group. I was a youth pastor on Saturday, and all day I said, I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching. Around four or five, I said, Lord, I can't deny your goodness, your love, your protection. You're so awesome. I'm going to preach about that, but, you know, we won't talk about what happened last night. 
You know, I was, so, so in those times of testings and trials, you're going to be seeing if um, what happened to you will allow you to walk away from God or to get closer. So trials is to judge your heart, whether you're going to follow him. Because we all want to follow God when everything is going good. How many say amen? And then when things go bad, we're like, mm-mm. That's going to that's gonna affect my devotion. Um, Psalm 119.67 says it like this. Before I was afflicted, before the trial came, I was going astray. But because I was afflicted, now I keep and obey your word. Before I had the trial, I was doing my own thing. And because of the trial, now I obey your word. Now I'm, I'm, you know, it's ludicrous. It's a little bit funny, but it works. Verse 71 says, it was good for me to go through the trial because that way I learned that it's better to keep your statutes. I learned it's better not to be away from you. Uh, One of the writers of uh, this topic area said that, that, what is happening to Abraham in this particular realm is a trial where God is testing his faith. But a lot of the trials that we suffer sometimes uh, say that you were to commit adultery and you were to lose your wife. That is not something that God produced. That is not a, it's an initiated by God. That's your falling into Satan's uh, prepared temptations and trials. So you can't consider all trials as coming to test your faith. Some of the trials are we have sought out on our own. Uh, you're going to have consequences of, for falling into trials that do not concern God. And it's an opportunity. I was talking to my children today. We went to have lunch with Nick. And I see people smoking on cigarettes. And they're like, and I'm like, these people not think that all that stuff is going into their lungs and pretty soon they get you know, lung congestion and, and failure and, and, and is that God? That, that's self-inflicted. That's that stuff that has nothing to do. God doesn't want you to go around with that infection. But the pride of thinking that they could do that and nothing, there'll be no consequences is so bizarre. But here he says, David says, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. This is great. Um, I can tell you that there hasn't been a trial in my life that I haven't, I, I kissed the ground that that trial walked upon. That's holy ground for me. I thank God because it, it removed idiosity from my brain. My foolish thinking was eliminated because of the trials and the hardships. And so you can say it was good that I suffered. Uh, I would have preferred it another way, but if that's what it took... I, I can say this led me back to be on track with God. So verse 75, he finishes up not only saying it's good for me to be afflicted so I can learn your statutes. Um, there's nothing like a spanking for your children to start making their bed and cleaning their room um, and getting home on time. I know, O oh Lord, that you, when you make your decisions, they are correct. If you go to a doctor and you have an issue with your eyesight and he starts drilling into your ear that's a horrible thing because now you have a messed up ear and you still have your eyesight problem but God knows exactly where to touch us how many say amen he knows exactly how to tune us and get us in our attention Uh, I have friends that confess to me all the time God knew exactly where to hit me and that unbuckled me totally in his presence Um, 
It wouldn't have happened any other way. I know, Lord, that your judgments, when you make decisions, they're right on target. And that in faithfulness, because you're a good God, you allowed this to take place. You afflicted me. So we don't have to question the measure of the heat that's in the oven because it's cooking at the right temperature. It's going to have the right smell, taste, flavor, and it's going to have just the right uh, uh, in, intensity and warmth. Uh, Psalm 94 verse 12, this should be the product of God's testing, which is joy. Uh, 94 12, it says, happy is the man whom you instruct and teach out of your law. Um, the Living Bible says, joyful are those who you discipline and those who you're bringing to the attention of your instruction. And so it, it is the case that we should be concerned. Proverbs 3.11, that in the times of testing, in the times of hardship, in the times of trial, that we not reje reject. That word despise means reject. My son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord, nor despise him, detest him, have emotions and affections when he corrects you. Don't, don't let things crawl in your heart in the time of trials and testing. Satan is, is an expert at trying to divert attention. Why can't we reject or hate when he calls our attention? Verse 12, because the calling of our attention and the discipline of the Lord, the affliction he allows, is that whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Uh, I was just telling a gentleman in my office, man, God's all over you, man. I can tell because he doesn't, he's on top of you. He's on top of you and all over you and constantly in the barrage of the atmosphere and the climate of his goodness all of your life, his mercy on a daily basis. And so that is a source of our rejoicing. Psalm 63, verse 3. Seeing how you love me is better than life. Seeing, in Spanish, los cocotazos, one after another. Wow, I'm loved. A lot of the young people are saying, I'm very loved. Because uh, my parents are always whacking my behind. Uh, they're always on top of me. So that... Uh, that is the expression of his love. Because you discipline me, um, your, your, your embrace is better than life, and my lips shall praise you. That's, that's, that's the thing. Lord, you, you really don't let up on me. Um, now, one of the things that, that people don't understand, and this, this is a travesty, but, but it's solid. Not only that God is showing us his love in the midst of these things. But suffering and trials and setbacks, the Lord allows us to go through so that we might assist others in their suffering and to carry their burdens. I never thought that, that going through hardship, some of, some of our children, their dads are in jail, right? And you're like, man, that's horrible. I said, like, it's horrible until they become the instruments to speak to all the children whose parents are in jail. Because nobody can tell them what it feels like to have this trial. And so God chose certain people to comfort others. When I was in my law practice, some man sued me in a legal malpractice case. And I was just like the first six months. And I'm like, 
Lord, why is he suing me for malpractice? I haven't done nothing wrong. And he goes, yeah, I know, but I need somebody to help other lawyers that are going through this. So I'm allowing you to smell, to taste, to hear, to experience the most wicked, awful thing so that you can show people, and this is what he says, I'm just taking you through this valley so that you would be saturated with all the feelings of disloyalty, betrayal, um, misaccusation, just everything. And I said, well, Lord, if we're just going through this valley, just as long as we don't stay here. He goes, no, we're just going through it. You're going to experience everything you need so that when another lawyer comes up to you, you're going to be able to say, I was there. And God is strong to take you through it. So trials sometimes, you are the candidate of God to go through particular situations. They're so bizarre. They're so precise. And you're like, you're like asking God, why me? Well, look at it as you're going to be the instrument of God to bring refreshing to untold millions. Uh, when, they, when they are able to hear your heart. Um, these trials come to develop um, the, the capacity to assist others in suffering and bearing burdens. Uh, we, we say that a lot, uh, young people that get molested in a young age, and you're, they're like, why did this happen to me? Okay, listen to me. It's not a good thing, but it becomes a good thing when you become like Josh McDowell the instrument of God to speak to a whole generation that's gone through that thing. He says from the age of nine to the age of like 16, uh, his, his dad's helper at the farm was, was molesting him. And so he, he never told anybody until about two years ago. And the Lord says, I brought you to Mexico because this is the situation that's happening in Mexico and I want you to tell everybody. So he brought it out and they did even a movie about it. It's called Undaunted. And, and showing that even in the midst of the worst crisis, God is, is using you to comfort others with the same comfort that the Holy Spirit has given you and the same embrace. Uh, number eight, trials come to develop enduring strength. What's it mean? That if you're going to be more useful for God, you need to go through more and more adversity. The more adversity you withstand, the greater your um, poised to be able to have greater effectiveness of ministry. Like I cannot minister to men unless my whole life was turned upside down because of the lack of men. So you say, Joaquin, from the time you're a little boy and, and you're five years old and you're going around and you're looking for somebody to call your hero and to, to champion life as a man and then there's no one until you're 16, 17 years old and you meet Jesus Christ. And so all the years of not knowing the character of the man that God created to be a champion, uh, now that's our passion. So out of many nights of going to sleep crying, out of many desperate times in our adolescence where, where you're not having prayers answered, God now raises up a champion in this generation to reach out. And the Lord says, in the area of your weakness, in the area of your trials, I'm going to make you a champion in that area. You're going to father untold millions uh, in this topic of manhood. Um, so trials will come in every color. It'll be money trials. It'll be employment. It'll be medical. It'll be social, relational. Um, and God forbid that you be told that you're, you're going to have a brain tumor. You're going to go through cancer. All these things. And, and what I, I, I love to see men like Doug Stringer, who's our pastor 
friend there in, in Houston, he says like this. He says, um, six months ago, he was declared to have stage four lymphoma cancer. And you guys heard me that night when I found out that he posted on his internet the, the night that, that they were told this devastating scenario. He said like this, the big C will obtain the victory over the little C. That Christ will swallow cancer as a, a, as a foe, as an adversary. And so many people here, I didn't hear any amens back then, but they reported last week that they did a PET scan and they did all the examinations and they didn't find any trace of cancer. And so he's into his treatment and, and he's battling like a champion and, and he's going forward. And so in the midst of that uh, challenge is where we see faith overcome. And Job... Um, Chapter 23, verse 10. Listen what Job says. He says, um, he knows the way I take. This is what God wants to see in the midst of your testing. He wants to see what your next step is going to be. He wants to see your next couple of steps. He knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I'll be unmoved. This thing will make me better, not bitter. This thing will make me a champion. And so I'll move in the direction of being able to prove how much I love God. Being able to see how strong the Lord is over, you know, it's not how big your giant is, but how God will overcome him. Verse 11, these things will allow him to see that my foot has held fast to his steps and I'm not shaken and I have kept his ways and I have not turned aside. Guess is, guess. Who's able to say these words? People who prepare themselves before the trial. You don't prepare yourself on the day of battle. You prepare yourself way before the battle comes. So when they knock it to you, you're still standing. When it comes against you, you prevail and have not been moved. And you're holding fast. Uh, one of the posts that my wife put uh, after the, our fire, um, she put these words. She says, before the fire... Jesus, Jesus was there, and after the fire, guess what? He's still there. Nothing has changed in our life because our confidence wasn't in anything but in God. And he shows himself to be sufficient. And, and when everything blows in your direction, what is left standing is the substance of what you have. And verse 12, he says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. Nothing has wavered in our heart. And in our life, tr listen to me, this is only reveals the work that he's done the past 15 years. Whatever is taking place right now is, is shows the substance. I have treasured your words of your mouth more than my necessary food. My food is to do the will of the Father. I'm not going to be moved by situation or circumstance. You know when you decide that? Say with me, before the trial. Before the trial, you decide that. One night we were here with a college group, with, with the elder groups. Actually, it was a single group. And, and I shared, I said, look, when you have everything that you own and are and you give it to God, right? You say, Lord, I want to give you my wife. I want to give you my job. I want to give you my children. I want to give you my belonging, my finances. And you walk away. Whatever happens there is not yours to be concerned about. Why? It's in God's hand. 
The scenario is when you have these things and you're trying to keep afloat and you're saying, Lord, I'll take care of these things. When you lose them, now you have the sentiment, why didn't I put that in God's care? Why didn't I hand that over to God so that when it's gone, I know it's part of God's game plan? Now I don't know. I don't know if the devil took it. I don't know if I lost it. I don't, I don't know what happened. So you know what we did that night? We bowed down our knees. There was like five, ten people in that room. And I said, guys, let's transfer everything that is in our life in this realm of the earth over to God. So that when anything happens, we rejoice because God knows what he's doing. You're not keeping that in the realm of your care. You've passed it on. So we knelt down. And one of the girls that was there, about 35 years old, 40 years old, I'm not sure. And, and she knelt down and she says, Lord, I give you my mom. I give you my dad. I give you my career. I give you my husband. I give you my son. I give you my family. I give you everything I am. I give everything I and she gave it all to the Lord that night. That was a Friday night. Super Bowl Sunday comes around. And at second quarter, she gets a phone call. Her mom is involved in a car accident and dies. Just that very weekend, she loses her mom. She had incredible peace in the midst of the storm. Why? Because she had put everything in God's hands the, the, the days before. So anything that happened, there was peace in her heart. It wasn't something that Satan was doing. It wasn't something that the realm of circumstances is doing. The sovereignty and having handed everything off to God's care um, gives you peace. And so the scenario is some of us don't do that. And when there's situations that take place through trials, then we start stressing out and wonder, I wonder what happened, how it happened, when it happened. So here, Deuteronomy 8, 2, God says this, You shall remember the Lord your God who led you these 40 years in the desert. This is what trials come to. He says, to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart. The, the, all, everything is revealed in times of testing. Fire reveals what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so that is, is uh, verse 3 says, so he allowed you, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna. The trial of no bread is so you can see his hand feeding you. That's the trial. The trial of losing your job is to remember it wasn't yours to keep in the first place. God had put you there for a season. And it's horrible when men think that they're doing everything. And it's devastating, humiliating when God removes the provisions. He says, I, I, I allowed you to hunger to feed you with manna, which you didn't. Some of us have not seen God as a healing God. You know, the only way you're going to see God as a healing God is if you get sick. You're not going to be able to see that aspect of God until you have uh, he says, uh, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by the lives, uh, by, uh, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the midst of all my trials, I've seen the face of God in a million ways that I wouldn't have seen had I, the trial had not come. So James chapter uh, 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's, there's something to say about those who have withstood trials. You have a lot of people coming out to church. You know what my favorite Christians are? The ones who have gone through a lot of trials. 
they, they, they have a special place in my heart because they've withstood setbacks and adversity. Those are the ones I want to go to battle with. Uh, let's read that real quickly. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures hardship, for when he has been tested, he will receive a special honor of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, one of the things that I see a lot, and this is a travesty, that Genesis 22, we see Abraham being tested and not Lot. I'm like, I would like to see Lot go through some stuff, you know? Not Abraham, not the guy who waited forever to have a son. And it's him whom you're asking to give his son to. Why does God do that? Listen to me. To be tested by God is, is a rare gem that he wants to show you off. Because not, not fake stones don't endure fire, right? And there's some people, and they, okay, there's nothing to see there. But the resilience of a stone that God entrusts with his fire. And, and he's like, this baby's going to shine. I know he could take it. I know. Come on. Burn. Burn, baby. Burn. Why? Because it's going to be greater reflection of glory. God is going to show forth in a manner that is not usual. So there it is that uh, God will deal with his servants in a capacity stronger than the common man. There in Job 42.5, we have a clear revelation of the character of God. After Job goes through all the entire testing, there's no one like this who has endured. He says, I have heard of you because people have spoken to my ear. I heard about God. But there's nothing like a test to see God with your eyes. I've seen you up close. I'm in the front seat. I saw this. And before this time, verse 6, before this time, I hated myself, and now I'm repented and turned back to ashes. Now I'm, I'm with reality once again. Second Chronicles 32, 31. We'll see this once again, that God will try men to see the intensity of, of their character and life. First Chronicles, I mean Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 32, 31. In the last verse it says, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Some guy, sometimes God says, you know something, I'm going to go over and stand over here and I'm just going to see what, what is going on from a distance and I'll observe. And, and sometimes we, we think we're strong, we think we're mighty, but God stands aside to see what's in our heart because that will surface. Um, Genesis 22.1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. His, his focus, his attention is now that he wants to polish and bring this man to a higher level of of expression of faithfulness. You know why everybody honors Abraham? Not because God gave him a promise to have a son, but in the hour of having the son, he passed the test when God asked him back for it. That, that is the single most uh, 
glaring reference to Abraham's character and existence and his love for God. And so he says that God tested Abraham, said Abraham, and he said, here I am. He's ready for the time of testing. Verse 2, he said to him, take now your son, your only son. Son is one thing. To only have one, I used to joke around like that. When me and my wife used to go to the mall and we would lose one of our children, we said, oh, we still have three left, no problem. But when you only have one son, and that's his case right there, whom you love, your affections are set on that, because I'm, I'm imagining uh, some people have bad relationships with their son, and there is no investment there, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now this, my friends, is the day that the trial knocks on your door. And there is no running from it. And there's no despising it. And there's no resenting it. And there's no unfamiliarity. Because if you know God, and tonight we're talking, how many, we're hearing God really out loud. We are going to be tested. We're, there are going to be trials. In this world, there are going to be tribulations, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of all of them, the Lord will deliver them. He has a game plan in every scenario. So to know this is more than a blah, blah, blah. It's more than a religious practice or exercise. It's we've lived it. And so God is on the other side of our trial. And so my favorite verse in this chapter is verse 3. Early in the morning, Abraham arose and saddled his donkey and took his young man with him and Isaac his son. And he took wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. This is a man who's walking in the confidence of the devotion he has for the God he serves. And this is faith. Psalm 119.60 says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Many of us, God is calling us to challenge our faith, to try our faith, to walk. Um, this thing about offerings and tithing, that's a trial and tribulation for many of us. I want to tell you that on the other side of that trial is huge level of glory. Greater measure of abundance. But you can't walk into it because you're trying to debate whether maybe next year, 2017, or 2019 maybe is a good year to start you know, walking through that trial. Listen to me. Do it now so you can see the glories of God. Now. Don't postpone it. And so, I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Verse 4. Then on the third day, he's walking towards Mount Moriah. He lifts up his eyes and saw the place that God had told him. He's walking in the progression to fulfill that which God has told him. Genesis 22, 4. Now, 5 says, And Abraham said to his young men, they're really important. This, this verse is my favorite verse after verse 3. Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkeys and the, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Listen, there's something in this dynamic that you need to see. He had embraced his trial as the devotion of his worship. He didn't say, I'm going to go over there so the Lord kicks my behind and I suffer. No, he says, I'm going to go over there and get closer to God. I'm in this process, and this is what I told my kids the night we, found, we were at the hotel. 
the night our house was gone, that night I said, we're going to use this as an opportunity to worship God closer, more intensely, more deliberately. We're going to read. We're going to pray. We're going to know God in the midst of this suffering. So that was when you make your trial a season of getting to know God better. And, and so that's what Abraham was doing. A lot of people will follow the devil and says, well, that's it. Guerra contigo and, and I'm going to fight God and I'm not. No, this is going to be a journey to be broken and to know God better. So there he is. He says, I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you because he was seen on the other side of the trial. There's a verse there in Hebrews 11, verse 18, who says he, why he was able to say he's coming back. Um, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, okay, the trial came, the day came knocking. He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. So he's going on with it, verse 18, and it says, of whom it was said in Isaac. So there what God was asking for was the provision of what God had called it out for in the first place. In Isaac, your seed shall be called, verse 19, concluding, coming to the conclusion that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense when he says, we'll come back. So Abraham was running ahead of the trial because he knew God had something greater on the other side. Now, let's watch this real quick. Sometimes God's provision comes and is so great, the promise of the Son, you're enjoying it and you have forgotten the Creator and you begin to worship the creature. And so God says, apes, give me that because it was never my intention for me to bless you and prosper you and, and flourish you for you to take your eyes off of me. So in this moment, he's saying, I want what you most love so that the worship and devotion goes back to its source. But he's confident that if he puts things in order, he gets the return of what God intended. So we go on to verse 6. And, and I want to tell you that, that for those of you that are fathers and have families, that Lord allowing you to go through trials and testing is the greatest gift for your sons and daughters. Because they're able to see what to do when life gets hard. They're able to witness dad. Look, dad had a crisis and he ran to God. Mom had the difficulty and she bowed down and cried before God. So the benefit of us going through trials and brokenness, if that were to crown our kids, that, that listen, is worth every last tear that we have shed because our kids will not be lost. Our kids will be devoted to God. So even that, and, and I was saying that, the greatest gift in this last episode in my personal life was my children being able to see mom and dad and being able to see the church because a lot of people, we see all the bad and ugly things in the church. My kids have seen the glory of the body of Christ, the incredible, you know, pouring forth of compassion and goodness and, and in that opportunity. Uh, so here it is. He's able to witness his father. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. This would have been worth it all. Now, some of the people who read this say, God is a wicked God. Look how he's making this guy pay, kill his son. And Listen to me. If all this benefits Isaac, 
to be able to worship God, seeing the character of his father, is well worth it. It's well worth it because he becomes the patriarch of nations, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They own the town of the tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel. And they have strong fathers because of the trials and the setbacks and adversities. It's a glorious thing. Ted Turner, who owns Turner. Yeah, he owns everything. His father went through a hardship in a business deal, went back home, grabbed a 38, and blew his brains out. And so what, what type of legacy? What type of, of, how does that benefit? So now his son is like weary, doesn't know God, doesn't believe in God, doesn't pray to God, is totally offset with this regard. But what a blessing it is to be in this circumstance um, uh, a blessing in disguise, verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. What's your concern? And he said, Look, we have the fire, we have the wood, but we don't have the offering. This man did not have an understanding of what was going on. You, my friend, are the provision, right? We have everything, but we're missing the lamb. And what does the opportunity Abraham has, and, and I tell men all the time that are going through hardships and difficulties, expect God to show up. You know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't ever. We, you'll see somebody going through a trial, and he'll describe to perfection his trial. Well, I had an ingrown, and it swelled up, and it got ugly. And they, they talk about their trial like with, specificity, uh, uh, with specifics. They don't describe their God. They don't talk about, and look what Abraham has the opportunity to do in verse 8. He says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. God's going to show up. This devastation is not without the hand of God in it. So the two of them went together. Verse 9. That's my favorite verse, that one that just happened. They came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar once again. He's tying it in to his devotion and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. In verse 10, he says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord, verse 11, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Yes, here I am. Verse 12. And he says, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted up his eyes in the midst of that situation and looked and behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. What is the, what is the result of our hardships and our travesty and our trials in those, listen to me, not everyone will traverse a life of faith. People have opted out. Thank you, Lord, but no thank you. I'm just going to go and, and, and be in another desert area. But those of us that are traversing uh, our lives to be displayed, the fire will perfect. The trials, the setbacks, the, the adversity, the betrayal, the offense, all the things necessary. Um, a man was saying today that if you get a little grain of sand and it falls in your eye, it'll get infected and you might lose your vision. 
But then something like an oyster is able to get a grain of sand and allow the irritation, the setback to secrete what it has to come over that horrible irritation and produce a pearl. So some people are losing their vision because of trials, and some of us have decided that we're going to allow Christ to be all over it, the Spirit of God to be all over it, the wisdom of God to be all over it, and we will produce treasure for God upon the earth that will be lasting treasure. It's not going to be a loss of vision, but it'll be the preservation of treasure. And, and that requires us to see this through. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, my God He's all over it, and he will provide. In the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. When we scale the heights of what God has for us, then comes what God said. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, I've sworn, says the Lord, because you have overcome, because you have traversed this difficulty and have not withheld the most precious your son, your only son, verse 16, because you have triumphed this trial, this test will become a testimony for all generations. Verse 17, I will bestow blessing upon you and bless you and multiply. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which are at the seashore. And your descendants shall always possess the gates of their enemies. The trials don't take us over. The trial makes us overcomers. In all these things, we're more than overcomers. And verse 18 says, uh, In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so we see that, that God also is allowing us to come into this reality. Let's stand tonight. And, and you know, there's some of you that have come for the first time tonight. Maybe this is the second time you've been here. I, I want to say that you are super highly favored of the Lord. I wish I would have listened to this message as the first, second message when I came into Christianity. I didn't find out that we were going to go through suffering until 15 years into Christianity. Nobody had told me because they said, if you come to Jesus, you'll suffer no more. You'll have no more problems. So I was like, ah. And so trials, tribulations, hardship, financial trials, economic trials, uh, social health issue trials, just a manner of ways that uh, losing our sons. You say, why, why is losing a son? Because we live in a fatherless generation. We live in a rebellious generation. Who greater to minister to the hearts of this generation, to adults, to fathers, to sons, than those of us who have, have gone through these tough times? Um, and in all these things, the Bible says we're more than overcomers, more than conquerors, through Christ, who leads us always into triumph. Always. There's always a, listen, we have cried. Uh, our heart has been broken. We, we suffered hardship. We have been shipwrecked. We have been all that you can consider. But we're still standing by the grace of God. And that is what people consider precious. That is what people consider consistent. Because we're living in a day and age where there is no faith. There is no grounding of a spiritual devotion embracing these manners. Uh, we will all have a quick opportunity to, the Bible says, let, let's find that verse. That because 
Evil will be rampant. Because everything will be twist, uh, twisted, uh, Matthew 24, 12. Everything's on their head, and people are not. We're not seeing testimonies of people, you know, persevering. And because of lawlessness, everything out of order, and this will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The trials will get people's devotion to be distant and disconnected from God. Uh, but one thing we do is we forget what happened in our last trial. We're preparing ourselves for the next one. And, and, and we're going to see God's hand in it all the way. Could you bow your heads with me? And, and really consider. This is, this is a word for today. This is a word for us to, to thank God and say, Lord, now I understand and I want to put everything into perspective. I want to be haste. I want to haste to obey your word and to move in the direction and not run from my trials and hardships but to embrace them in your purpose so that my life will shine like the stars in the firmament we know that our children it's not fun to see them go through hardships but necessary and some of us might have a cynical mindset and even in our flesh, the, the one that stands in enmity with God, arguing, always challenging God to say this was not necessary and God is mocking and God can't be trusted. But as you grow, you'll, you'll see your spirit get strong. And, and we had seen that the son of the slave woman was mocking Isaac, and that happens a lot of times. But I, I, I will trade a trial that God allows to come into my life way above any day of prosperity that Satan wants to put me in. To trust God in times of suffering will, will bring greater riches than all the, the refuge and that the protection that the devil wants to afford you outside of Christ. Father, thank you for this word today. I want to pray for everyone that has gone through a time of testing. I want to read this verse very quickly before we pray. So we pray in context in Galatians chapter 6. Because there is a role for all of us to play in, in these affairs. Galatians 6. I had separated a verse here that I wanted to read. In verse... I believe it's one. Galatians 6.1. It says, In the midst of this trials, if a man is overtaken by any trial, you who are spiritual should help restore one in a spirit of gentleness. Because listen to me, going through these things is not an easy thing. Uh... When Job was going through his trials, his friends came together and for seven days they didn't speak a word. Many times we're too fast to speak into somebody's trial and it's better to just shut up. Those people say, well, I know how you feel. Just keep it, close that blabber. And it's better just to be there in a gentle spirit, considering yourself lest you have to walk in these people's shoes. 
and it's not easy. And he says, well, if that happened to me, listen to me, don't, don't even go there. Verse 2, if anyone is overtaken in trial, so that we're able to bear one another's burdens, that's part of the trials in our life. There, there's nothing more refreshing during a time of anything than to have people there, you know, lifting, making the load lighter, and so fulfill the character of Christ, the law of Christ uh, in this season. So uh, I always say I don't want to go through other people's trials. When somebody comes up to me and says, well, I'm overwhelmed, I say, listen, I'll take you down to Miami Children's Hospital right now, and you can see what suffering's really like. Hardship is really like sitting outside of a, of a bedroom door not knowing if, if your son or daughter is going to come back out of a procedure or an illness. So let's, let's ask God to fill our hearts with gentleness and that we're able to be lighter in the load. And Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. We leave this place understanding you a little bit more and desiring to be overcomers and victors and champions as we face the different aspects of things that befall man here upon the earth and that all things would turn for the good of those that are called, like you say in your word. All things happen for the good of those that are called according to your purpose. Those people who love you and are trusting you in the process, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit might direct our steps might equip us with everything we need to learn, the lessons, the instructions, that we might see you with more clarity, that we might not stay upon the earth thinking that this is our home because we're just passing by. Your word says we're pilgrims and strangers, but that our home is in, in, in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, in heaven, where we will abide forever and ever, and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes and you will heal our broken hardness. And we will never know sickness again, Lord. So I pray, Father God, that you sustain us upon the earth as we traverse good times, bad times, and different times, Lord. And that your grace might sustain us through it and be glorified in every manner that your name must be magnified so others might see your reality in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and the body of Christ says amen. Amen, amen and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.